podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Monday, February 21st, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access whatever it is you're geo-blocked from, while also keep keeping your data safe. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot. Five-star ratings across the board. And if you use the code router50 at libertyshield.com, you can get your router half price. That's router50 at libertyshield.com to get using and get where you want to be while keeping your data safe. American Netflix, BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, Peacock, whatever it is you want to access, this is the way to go. Check out libertyshield.com. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy and use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, another manic weekend in the Premier League. And let's start with the early game on Saturday. West Ham won, Newcastle won. This feels like two big points dropped for West Ham. But they should be pretty thankful to get one point at all because Newcastle were the better team in this game. Eddie Howe has really turned things around at Newcastle. That's now five games unbeaten. They've taken 11 points from the last 15 available, which when you consider they'd only taken 11 points from the previous 57 available, that's a hell of a turnaround. They're out of the bottom three. They're now four points clear of Watford, who are 18th. Level on points with Everton. And as things stand, they're the team that are going to climb the table. They're the team that could overtake not just Everton, but Leeds, Brentford, And if you're Crystal Palace, you might be getting a little bit worried as well because Newcastle look really good right now. And I have to say, I was a massive skeptic, a huge... I'm I'm not an Eddie Howe guy. I don't think Eddie Howe is what he's made out to be. But over the last five games, Newcastle have been really, really good. There's just no way around it. The schedule has favoured them a little bit. You look at the games they've played. A draw with Watford, I mean, that's a bit of a disappointing one. But the win away to Leeds, that's a team in and around them at the bottom of the table. A 3-1 win over Everton, again, a team in and around them. The win over Villa was a big one. And now this draw against a good West Ham team who 
are pushing for a top four finish. This is a big, big result for Newcastle. And they ter- they thoroughly deserved it. In fact, like I say, they deserved a bit more from it. Craig Dawson had put uh, West Ham one up on 32 minutes. That's only the second most notable Craig Dawson input into this game. Joe Willock equalised on the stroke of half time in the second half. I, I just do think Newcastle were the better team. The most notable Craig Dawson team uh, thing about this game is that at some point in the game, he went to the referee and complained that Newcastle striker Chris Wood was walking up to Kurt Zuma and meowing at him. That's the story of the season. Nothing else is important. Chris Wood meowing at Kurt Zuma is the just the moment of the season. You don't need to look any further. Make Chris Wood the footballer of the year. Give him the freedom of all the cities. That is outstanding stuff from Chris Wood. And Craig Dawson, stop telling tales. Zuma's a big boy. He can look after himself. And you're well into your 30s. Grass is never prosper. Snitches get stitches. Don't be telling tales. Disappointing result for West Ham, obviously. And they're in a funk at the moment. Only one win from the last five. Only five points taken from the 15 available. That's not ideal when you're pushing for top four. They're now four points behind Manchester United with the same amount of games played. They're level on points with Arsenal, who've played three games less. Two points ahead of Wolves, who've played two point two games less. And three points ahead of Spurs, who've played three games less. West Ham may not just miss out on Champions League. They may miss out on Europe altogether if they don't turn this around. And it's not like we can say it's been a desperately hard run of fixtures. Losing at home to Leeds United, who have been terrible this season. Losing away to United, Manchester United, who weren't great at the time. They struggled against Kidderminster, we remember, in the Cup. Needed a last-minute Declan Rice goal just to get to extra time. And then a last-minute Jared Bowen goal in extra time. They beat Watford. That's their one win in five. Uh, 2-2 draw with Leicester. You take that, given the manner of how they had to come back to get that draw. But then this draw, this is a game they will definitely have been targeting to win. And their schedule's really difficult now for the next few games. It's Wolves at home. Liverpool away. Aston Villa at home. Tottenham away. And then Everton at home. That's an easier one. but. Still, three big, big games coming up in their next five league matches. They've also got a trip to Southampton there in the FA Cup in between that. But Wolves at home, Liverpool away, Tottenham away in their next five league games. Very, very difficult. For the Toon, they will be on a high 
And with Brentford away next, they can carry this form on. Then they get Brighton at home. That's a winnable game for them. Southampton away is difficult. Chelsea away is very difficult. And then Everton away. Given Everton's form, it's a winnable game for Newcastle. But having four of your next five be away from home is a bit of a tough task. But they've put the groundwork in here. If they can get a result at Brentford, get a result at home to Brighton, and then maybe get a result at Goodison. And by a result, I'm talking a draw, not necessarily a win. Then that'll be pretty good to have gone through 10 games with only two defeats, three wins and five draws. That'd be a pretty good 10-game stretch for Newcastle. Moving on then to the 3 p.m. kickoffs on Saturday. Arsenal 2, Brentford 1. Uh, Emil Smith-Rowe put Arsenal 1 up on 48. Bakayo Saka made it 2 on 79. Christian Norgaard got a late consolation for Brentford on 93. Arsenal should have had a penalty in this game. Now, their fans will tell you they should have had four, but they should not. The Ben White one is not a penalty because both players make contact with the ball at the same time. The Lacazette one isn't a penalty because he's offside. The Nicolas Pepe one... Look, I wouldn't... If if it had been given, I wouldn't say that's an outrageous decision. But there's minimal contact and he goes over so theatrically. The one that is a handball... Is the whistle red car? The whistle a handball? That's a that's a penalty. That's a penalty without question. And Arsenal should have had that. But look, we need to be talking more about Emil Smith Rowe and what a special special talent he is. He is averaging a goal or assist at the same rate as Jared Bowen, who people are talking up as the best English player in the league this season. Well, Emil Smith Rowe is matching him. The only thing holding him back is that Arteta is holding Smith-Rowe back a little bit in terms of minutes played. But you'd expect that we'll see more and more of him across the rest of the season. He is a very, very special player. And having him and Saka and Martinelli, I mean, that's three young players you can really hang your hat on for the next decade. If Arsenal can keep hold of these kids for the long term, it seems weird to suggest that Arsenal one of the great institutions in English football, might not be able to keep hold of these players because maybe Arsenal can't work their way into the top three, top four. But if they, if they can keep hold of those kids, they will lead the next great Arsenal team. And there will be another great Arsenal team in the coming years. There's a lot of pieces in place. Arsenal fans are very, they're a very sensitive bunch. And any sort of criticism is met with tantrums. What's weird is when you praise their players, they never come and say, oh, I agree with that. Thanks for saying that. You know, that's he's a good player. But should you suggest that one of their players or their manager isn't particularly good, oh, there'll be tantrums. Oh, it's it's nuclear. And then you get all these other 14 and 15-year-olds in your mentions crying about, you just admit you hate Arsenal. I've literally done a 10-tweet thread on Arsenal in the past where nine of the tweets are bigging up Arsenal 
the club itself, the history, the training ground, the stadium, the academy, these wonderful players like Smith Rowe, Saka, Mark Nelly, Odegaard, who I really like, Thomas Partey, Kieran Tierney, Gabriel, who I think I'm higher on than most, even a lot of Arsenal fans, Tommy Asu, I really like. I still don't rate Ramsdale. And you'll never convince me Ben White's a centre-back. And I think the manager's a PE teacher. But they own Saliba. He can come in and he's an upgrade on Ben White. So now you've got Tamiyasu, White, or Tamiyasu, Saliba, Gabriel, and Tierney. That's a back four I can get on board with all day long. That's got the potential to be absolutely monstrous defensively. And if you can find the defensive midfielder, and I think Ndidi might be the one, to go and allow you to play in, not every game, but in some games, Smith Rowe and Odegaard as eights, and then play Saka and Martinelli either side of a, a nine who is elite with his movement, and I think that's Jonathan David. That's a hell of a team under the right manager. That's a hell of a team under the right manager. Like I've said all season, I think this Arsenal team is Fugazi. In large part because of the likes of White, Xhaka, Lacazette, who I loved at Lyon and has just never delivered consistently enough at Arsenal. The manager, the fact that when you look at their wins this season, you're struggling to find that that really good win. You're struggling to find that elite 90-minute performance. That's my issue at Arsenal, is that despite being sixth in the table, they've got 13 wins this season, right? And if we go back through them, if you start to really dig into who they've beaten and what's happened when they've come up against good teams, I just don't believe it makes all that pretty of a read. You lost to Brentford, you lost to Chelsea, you lost to City. Fair enough. You beat Norwich, they're going to go down. You beat Burnley, uh, you beat Norwich with a fluke. You beat Burnley with a worldie. You struggled to break them down. Burnley may well go down. You beat a Tottenham team that was falling apart and almost threw that game away in the second half. You got outplayed by Brighton. You got outplayed by Crystal Palace. Both of them ended in a draw. You beat an Aston Villa team who sacked their manager a couple of weeks later. You beat a bad Leicester team who were in the bottom half. You beat Watford who will probably go down. You got hammered by Liverpool. You beat Newcastle who were, in the, were nailed to the foot of the table at the time. I mean, Southampton at home might be your best win of the season considering Saints were close enough to full strength. But Saints at that time were a bottom six club. They beat West Ham, missing three quarters of their first choice defence. They beat Leeds, bottom six. They beat Norwich, bottom six. Wolves is probably their best win, actually. Wolves away. That's your one really good win where you can't look at the other team and say, OK, hang on. There's X, Y and Z why that team has struggled on that day. You beat Brentford, who are in the bottom six, and probably could still go down. So Wolves is your big win. You're going to play them again. Soon enough. 
we'll see how that one works out. But, I mean, how many are actually impressed with there? You can take the Spurs game. You can take Southampton. But that's based on Southampton now, not Southampton then. West Ham and Wolves. That's four decent wins. And I think you knocked that Saints one off. It's three good wins. It's three good wins, and there's question marks over two of them. One, because of the mess that Spurs were in, the fact they sacked the manager a few weeks later. And with West Ham, again, missing three quarters to starting defence. But comfortably beaten by Chelsea, hammered by City, hammered by Liverpool, lost to United, lost to a woeful Everton. Lost to City, tried to claim that you've been brilliant, but you lost. Uh, out of both cups. I mean, what what am I what am I getting on board with here? They're still as likely to finish eighth as they are sixth. They're still not a team you'd really trust when push comes to shove. And their back end of the season is pretty difficult. So I don't really fancy them to do much of anything. They might scrape into the Europa League, but I think sixth is their ceiling. But you can't say anything negative against the club. You can't because even when you try and not just balance it, but outweigh it with positives about the future, about what might be in two, three years. The level of offence that gets taken for pointing out that there's no leadership in the Arsenal team. There's no spine in the Arsenal team. Like There's no real courage in that team. There's no fight when things go against them. There's a lack of an elite-level goal scorer. Now, they tried to get Vlahovic, but that was foolish. Vlahovic was never going there. He was very clear about that. He wouldn't even take your calls. And yet you wasted months and months on this deal. And nonsense. Brentford I worry about. I think Brentford might be in a bit of trouble. They are 14th. And they do have a six-point cushion on Watford. But Watford have two games in hand. Like, Leeds are below them by a point. Leeds have two games in hand. Everton are two points behind them. They have three games in hand. Newcastle are two points behind them. They have two games in hand. Six points to Watford. Watford have two games in hand. Seven points to Burnley. Burnley have four games in hand. Seven points to Norwich. Norwich only have one game in hand. But... Like Brentford are burning through these games and not picking up points. Only one point from the last five, and it's actually much worse than that, if memory serves. Let me just check in with Brentford this season, and let's look at the last ten games. Uh, it does not make pretty reading. You can go all the way. I said this before. You look at their first seven games, and you know they pick up twelve points, and since then. In 14 games, no, sorry, in 19 games, they have picked up 12 points. 12 points from the last 19 games. They have one point from their last seven games. Four points from their last 10. 
did a little mini run weeks 12 through 16 where they won two, drew two and only lost one away to Spurs. But it has been really, really poor. Since they beat Watford, it's been really poor. Lost to uh, Brighton. Lost to City. Fair enough. Beat Villa. Great. Hammered by Southampton. Beaten comfortably by Liverpool. Beaten by United. Beaten by Wolves. Beaten by City. Again, it's been a tough run. You've played good teams. But still, got to be picking up more points. Now, maybe as they cycle back through some of the lesser teams in the division, they will start to pick up more points. And, you know, that Newcastle game is massive next weekend. Then it's Norwich away. Then it's Burnley at home. They've got to take points from these three games. You'd be looking at five points minimum if you're them to be happy with your hold from those three games. But three defeats, and you might want to start calling the championship and making reservations. After that, they've got Leicester away and Chelsea away. Not feeling the love for either, if I'm them. Leicester, maybe. Leicester's inability to defend set pieces might lean into what Brentford can do. But, you know, after Chelsea, it's West Ham. So, it it doesn't make pretty reading. It really doesn't. They've still got Watford and Everton to play as well, and Leeds on the final day. So... There's six games there that you'd say, if everything goes their way in those games, they could win those games. And that's got to be their hope, is that they can win, say, win three of them and get a couple of draws. And that will keep them in the division. Otherwise, they really are going to struggle. Their schedule is favourable. That's their big, big plus. Right, uh, next up then, Brighton nil, Burnley 3. Big win for Burnley. Veghorst, Brownhill and Lennon scoring three really good goals. Well, two really good goals and one that was a little bit lucky because it wasn't the best hit shot. Uh, Big win for Burnley. Bad defeat for for Brighton. They were missing Webster and Dunk. But at the same time, Burnley were missing Taylor and Tarkovsky and Westwood. So it balances itself out there. Uh, Burnley off the foot of the table into 90. Excuse me, 19th. Five points from safety, but they do have two games in hand. You'd look at their schedule and say it's difficult because it's Tottenham at home, then it's Palace away, then Leicester at home, and then Chelsea at home before they play Brentford away. That's a difficult five-game run. They have to pick up some points, though. They can't afford to be only picking up, say, one point. They've got to get four or five as a minimum from that five-game run. for Brighton. It's just another meh result. And they've got to really pick themselves up now because they get Villa next at home. Then it's away to Newcastle. Then at home to Liverpool. Then Tottenham away and then City away. So they've got to pick up points in these next two games because you wouldn't fancy them to get much of anything from Liverpool, Tottenham and Manchester City. They do still sit ninth in the league. They'll be very, very happy with that. But you've got to say, Graham Potter needs to stop playing Adam Lallana in a holding midfield role. Because he's just like a parking attendant. just waves you through. Absolutely hopeless. And Danny Welbeck is an empty shirt up front most weeks as well. I still fancy Burnley to drag themselves out of it. But 
they've left a lot of hard work to do. They've got 16 games left. They've got to be eyeballing Newcastle and Everton and potentially Leeds and Brentford as well as teams that could just collapse in below them. Uh, moving on, Liverpool 3, Norwich 1. I've covered this on the Daily Red. Go and listen to that on Anfield Index. Sadio Mane, Mo Salah and Luis Diaz for Liverpool. Milot Rashica for, uh, for Norwich. A good win for Liverpool. Not a good performance. They were good after the 60th minute. Once Thiago came on, before that it was a bit of a mess. Um, Norwich, after their little mini run, back to the foot of the table. And you'd have to say they do look favourites once again to go down. They get Southampton away. Brentford at home, Leeds away, Chelsea at home, and Brighton away in their next five league games. They also get Liverpool again in the Cup. They would nearly be better off going out of the Cup and just focusing all in on the league, because the league is what matters for them. Uh, For Liverpool, they've given themselves a chance. I'll talk more about the title race as we get towards the end, Um, but they've given themselves a bit of a chance. Uh, Moving on then, Southampton 2, Everton 0. Stuart Armstrong and Shane Long. Shane Long with the goals. When Shane Long is scoring against you, you know things are not going well. And things are not going well for Everton Football Club at all. They had nine shots in this game, none on target. I think their combined XG was about 0.3. You'd probably be better off if you took nine shots from the halfway line with a goalkeeper. Uh, It would probably work out a bit better for you than it did for the Ev. Um, it's really hard to see where Everton start getting points from now as well. Next up, Manchester City. Then Tottenham. Then Wolves. Any points there? Not for me. They play Boreham Wood in the FA Cup as well. But there's no points in those next three league games for me. Then Newcastle at home. They're in form. Then Watford away. I mean, Hodgson against Lampard? Kind of fancy Hodgson to get something there. West Ham away, Manchester United at home, Crystal Palace at home, Liverpool away, Chelsea at home, Leicester away, Brentford at home is a winnable game, and then Arsenal away on the last day of the season. It's a very, very horrible run. Like that, That's probably the most difficult run that any of the teams at the foot of the table have left, and Everton have the worst manager. And I don't know where the points come from. Like, I, if I'm being generous, I can maybe see nine points and that might be enough to keep them up. I kind of feel like it's more sort of in the six, seven kind of range. With the way they're playing, with how hopeless they look. Mina out for a while, Godfrey's out, Dekure's out. They're easy to play through. There's not enough creativity in the team. Calvert-Lewin hasn't looked right since coming back. Richarlison doesn't look right. Yeah, it's it's not good for Everton. It really isn't. For Saints, though, they'll be thrilled. They'll be really happy with how things have go, are, are going. They've turned the season around very, very well. Um, they're only one point behind Brighton, and they will be eyeballing them with a view on, on overtaking them, especially when you look at their upcoming run of games. Their next six league games are all very, very winnable. All of them. Norwich at home. Out of form, Villa away. Newcastle at home, Watford at home, Burnley away, and Leeds away. 
they won't win them all because they're a mid-table team and mid-table teams don't have that kind of consistency. But they'll go into each of those games as the better team. They also play West Ham in the Cup. But there's a world in which they win all six. And all of a sudden, they're not just comfortably in the top half, but with the way the teams of both of them are going, I mean, they they could catch somebody. They really could. They won't. They won't. They won't catch anybody because, again, they're a mid-table team. They'll be inconsistent. But they're only five points behind Spurs. And Spurs are Spurs. Um, we'll move on. Aston Villa nil. Watford won. Great result for Watford. Emmanuel Dennis gives them the win in the 78th minute after good work by Ishmael Assar. Quality header by by Dennis and dreadful defending at the back post by Ashley Young. Uh, I thought Watford was a better team here. Villa had more shots, but only one on target. And really didn't look like they had much of a game plan to do anything at all. From their last three games against Leeds, Newcastle and Watford, Villa have taken one point. That's going to be very concerning for Steven Gerrard. It's only one win in the last five. The honeymoon period very much over for Steven Gerrard. Also lost to Brentford recently. You know, their only win since Christmas is Aston Villa. Uh, sorry, is Everton. Everton. Everybody beats Everton. It's not, there's nothing there. And if you look at Gerard's time in charge, it started well. They won three of four. They beat Brighton. They beat Palace. They beat Leicester. They lost to, to, uh, to City, rather. Then they lost to Liverpool. But they played well against Villa. And they gave an okay count of themselves against Liverpool. A lot of time wasting and falling over, but still. Then they beat Norwich. And since then, it's just, it's been bad. It has been bad. Lost to Chelsea, lost to Brentford, lost United in the Cup, drew United in the league, having had to fight back from 2-0 down. Uh, beat Everton, fair enough. But Leeds threw that one away. Really threw that one away. You were 3-1 up at home. Lost to Newcastle, lost to Watford. It's not good. And their run doesn't get easier. It's Brighton away. It's Southampton at home. Leeds away. West Ham away. Arsenal at home. Wolves away. Tottenham at home. Liverpool at home. Then Leicester away. That's a very, very difficult run. They finished the season against Man City. It's a very, very difficult run for Villa. Gerrard's going to have a lot of work to do this summer. A lot of work. It has not gone particularly well since he took over. His in-game management hasn't been good enough. He's good at setting the team up. He's got Michael Beale and he's got Gary McAllister there. But the in-game stuff just seems to be an area of struggle at the moment. Uh, for Watford, look, punches chance. That's what they've got. They've got Sar, they've got Dennis, they've got Josh King, they've got uh, Joe Pedro. They've got firepower, but Defensively, there's still going to be an issue. Now, they defended well at the weekend. Craig Cathcart, who I normally slander, he had a good game. But you wouldn't trust that defence. And their next five games are tough. Palace at home will be difficult. United away. Arsenal at home. 
Wolves away and then Southampton away. That's it's a difficult run. It is a difficult run. Then they get Everton at home and what will be a six pointer. Then they go to Liverpool. It's very, very difficult. It's hard to see them staying up. But like I say, they've got a punch's chance. When you've got Dennis playing the way he is, when you've got Ishmael Asar back now fit, worth noting that was Ishmael Asar's first start since the United game, where they slapped United and Ollie got sacked. That's the kind of difference he can make for them. Uh, Crystal Palace nil, Chelsea won. I thought Palace were a little bit unfortunate, but I didn't think Vieira did himself any favours. Now, look, he couldn't have known what team was coming from Chelsea, but the decision to start AU and Schlupp as his wingers was clearly aimed at combating Chelsea's play through the full-back and wing-back areas. But Chelsea lined up with Christensen at right-back and Malang Sarr at left-back, so they were never going to be attacking a whole lot through those areas. Chelsea really did struggle to attack at all. They played a lot of aimless, pointless football in the middle of the pitch and just couldn't connect with Lukaku. Lukaku had seven touches in the game. And people on social media will mock him, mock the manager, mock the setup, mock the team. It's not his fault they're not getting him the ball. It's not like there was a bunch of balls pumped into him and he just wasn't getting there. The ball just wasn't being played to him. A bizarre, a bizarre game of football. Palace... Held out, held out, held out, and then Hakim Zayic from a really narrow angle. And I, I don't think the keeper should get beaten from there. I don't think Gaeta should be getting beaten from there. But it's a good finish from from Zayic. Chelsea third in the league. I think that's pretty much where they'll finish. They're seven points behind Liverpool, 13 behind City, though they do have a game in hand on City. They're four points ahead of United with a game in hand. I expect them to finish third. Um, they get Lille next in the Champions League, then Liverpool in the EFL Cup final, Luton in the FA Cup. Then the league kind of opens for them a little bit. They get Burnley away, Newcastle home, Norwich away, Brentford home. They've also got the second leg against Lille. But in those four league games, there's nothing acceptable outside of four straight wins. That's just how it works. When you're Chelsea, you need to win all four of those games. Then they get Southampton, then they get Leeds. In truth, they should win all six of those. They should win all six of those, but they haven't shown that kind of consistency and form thus far this season. Of the teams in the top three, Chelsea have the easiest run in. It's not particularly close either. They've got the easiest run in by a bit of a distance. But unfortunately, they've left themselves too much of a gap and too much work to do. But this was a decent win for them. Uh, Manchester City 2, Tottenham 3. And we have a title race. Tottenham, I thought, were brilliant. Fully deserving of the win. Dejan Kulisevsky put them one up on four minutes. Baffling defending by Ruben Diaz, who could see Kane pass the ball as as Son ran past him. He knew Son was onside. There's no way he thought Son was offside. Because as the ball was played, Son was clearly in front of him as he was facing Kane. Um, so bizarre defending from Diaz. Son squares it to Kulisewski. He scores and that's Tottenham one up. Then City took over and they had a lot of the ball. 
They had a lot of shots. They didn't really come close to scoring. And then Raheem Sterling clipped a fairly innocuous cross into the box. And Hugo Lloris comes out and just makes an absolute mess of it. An absolute mess of it. Catastrophe. Spills it straight to Gundogan. Gundogan finishes 1-0. And you think, okay, that's it. City will come back now and City will win this game. 3-1. And we'll all say, local Spurs, they had a good half hour. And that's, you know, that's a Spurs thing to do. But second half, Spurs were just were just brilliant. They were so, so good. Harry Kane made it 2-1 on 59. Really good goal. Then he should have made it 3-1 a few minutes later. Really good move. Sun feeds him through one-on-one. He should finish from there. He fails to. And unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, Ederson is able to make the save. Now, unfortunately for Kane and Spurs, not unfortunately for City or, or Ederson. Um, then they do score, and it's waved away. Kulusevski, it's a great move. Kulusevski gets the ball wide right. Clips into the box. Bit of a scramble defensively. Falls to Kane's feet. He finishes past Ederson. And you think it's 3-1. And then you realise Kulusevski was offside. And then City go down the far end. And it's a Bernardo Silva cross. Romero slides in. Gets a block on it. Play goes on. City players are throwing their arms up in the air. VAR review. And it was a handball by Romero. And it was a shame because he'd been brilliant until that point. He had been absolutely magnificent until that point. But it was a penalty. There's no question. Mara steps up and finishes. It's a great penalty, no doubt about it. You think, okay, 2-2. Spurs probably deserved a bit more, but on the balance of play, you're not going to begrudge City. But Spurs went right down the far end. Great ball by Bentoncourt, finds Kulisevsky. Great cross into the box. And a tremendous header by Harry Kane. This was by far Harry Kane's best performance this season. And it's not even a close contest. Like, this was levels and levels above anything Kane has turned in all season. And if he can play like this the rest of the way, Spurs will get top four. They just will. If Sun plays like this the rest of the way, if Spurs play like this the rest of the way, they'll get top four. The question is, can they play like this the rest of the way? They currently sit 8th. Coming up, they've got Burnley away, Leeds away. That's two winnable games. Tottenham at home, another winnable one. Then United away and Brighton away. So four of the next five are away from home. But four of them, four of the next five, not including the United game, are games they should really go and win. And that game against United is massive. A draw there is not a bad result for Spurs. But they've got to be taking 12, 13 points from this next run of games because they're seven points behind United with three games in hand. Seven points is a, is a, is a gulf at this stage. You know, they're only three points behind West Ham with three games in hand. If that was the, the split to top four, you'd be delighted with yourself. But, you know, they were only three points off top four with three games in hand and they blew it. Um, they're three points behind Arsenal. They've got to play Arsenal as well. They do have that to look forward to. That's a home game. If they can beat Arsenal at home, they'll still be behind the Gunners because Arsenal have improved their goal difference and Spurs obviously blew theirs over the last few games. Um, But look, there's very much five teams in the mix for that. 
And Spurs have the best manager, the two best players, and the best centre-back in Romero. So if they can just get the rack together, it's still there for the taking. For City, look, they're still top. And they still look favourites to win the league. They'll play Everton next. That's the win. But then they get the Manchester derby, and that's difficult. Then a trip to Palace. Then Brighton at home, which is kind of one of the games where City have a habit of slipping up. Burnley away, and that leads them into Liverpool. That leads to Liverpool on the 9th of April. They've got an FA Cup game against Peterborough and a, a Champions League game against Sporting to come in that run as well. But if City get through this, City will win the league. If City come out of that game against Liverpool with a four-point advantage, even a three-point advantage, it's over. Because their last... Wolves will be tough, but, I mean, you look at their last five. Watford, Leeds, Newcastle, West Ham, Villa. They're, they're not losing any of those games. They're difficult games left. Are United, Liverpool and Wolves. West Ham will be tough. It will, but I you just don't trust... I just don't trust West Ham now after after what we've seen recently. Um, huge win for Spurs, though. Huge, huge win. They should be absolutely thrilled by the outcome. Uh, Manchester United 4, Leeds 2 at Ellen Road. United went 2-0 up. Harry Maguire and then Bruno Fernandes in added time in the first half gave them the 2-0 advantage at halftime. Leeds fired back in the second half. Rodrigo, it was absolutely a cross. It catches... David De Gea unawares and drops in at the back post. And then a minute later, Rafinha makes it 2-2. And you think, geez, Leeds are back in this. And then Leeds just did Leeds things defensively. I don't understand how Fred scores because Melier has every angle covered. It's it's shameful. It's a good strike, but it's a shameful, shameful um, goal to concede for Melier. And then Alanga on 88 makes it uh, 4-2. Thought Sancho played really well in this game. His his involvement in the Bruno Fernandes goal was great. The little clip ball for Bruno after a good run by Lindelof. Uh, can somebody tell Harry Maguire to stop knee sliding as if he's something special? Like, you're awful. Genuinely. You've been awful this season. You weren't great last season. And you really don't deserve the praise that you get. You certainly don't deserve for the Athletic be writing multiple articles in the last week praising you. Um, just settle down. Every time he scores a goal, he acts the big I am. And then makes an absolute fool of himself shortly after. Watch out for United's next league game. Because Harry Maguire will do something ridiculous. Now they play Atletico Madrid in the week. That may, might be the game he does something ridiculous in. Then it's Watford. Then City, then Tottenham, then Liverpool. I've said this before. Their march is horrible. Absolutely horrible. I don't think they get anything from those three games. Maybe a point. Maybe a point against Tottenham. But I think they're losing to Liverpool and City. I think they're going out of Europe against Atletico Madrid as well. Um, For Leeds... They're in the in the mix at the bottom. They're very much in the relegation battle. 
And they're going to need to start getting some results soon. They've won one of their last five. They've lost three of their last four. Coming up for them, Liverpool away, Tottenham at home, Leicester away, Villa at home. That's not fun. Then they get Norwich at home. It's a game they have to win. They've got to go and beat Norwich. They've got to beat Watford. And they've got to get a couple of points elsewhere. And then they'll be okay. But right now, they're very much in the mix. They do look like a team that is capable of losing five or six games in a row. They really do, which isn't ideal. Speaking of not ideal, uh, Leicester City losing away to Wolves and Brendan Rodgers having lots of excuses again. Um, John Percy has come out today and said that Rodgers has the full backing of the Leicester City board. And the blame for their season has been put on injuries and recruitment. We'll come back to those things. Ruben Neves put Wolves one up on nine. Luckman equalised on 41. Pedence with the winner on 66. I'm hearing, I'm hearing that Leicester played really well. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Like, they barely created anything. The saves Jose Sa had to make were largely from longer range shots. The goal they scored was excellent. But the chances they had were largely longer range shots. Leicester weren't good in this game. They just weren't. Wolves weren't particularly brilliant themselves. But Wolves can defend and Leicester can't. Highlight of the game, Pedro Neto coming off the bench. He's been out nearly a year. It's absolutely brilliant to see him back. What a wonderful player. But, I mean, for Leicester, this is just an unacceptable season. It really is. There's no way to look at this and say this is fine. Ten defeats from 23 in the league. That's a mess. It's an absolute mess. They've lost 13 times in all competitions this season, not including the penalty shootout defeat. To Liverpool. I think that's from, I want to say it's from 36 games, 13 defeats. That's just not acceptable. Not with that level of talent at that club. 27 points, a negative six goal difference. That's an appalling season. And John Percy says that the Brendan Rodgers has the backing of the Leicester City board despite alarming slump in form. Rodgers' position is not under threat. With injuries and recruitment seen as the major reasons behind the struggles. They're seen as the reasons because he said they're the reasons. Well, let's recap. Brendan Rodgers went into Leicester and completely overhauled the medical department. So there's that. As for recruitment, he brought in Lee Conjurton. That was his appointment. Lee Conjurton is head of recruitment. And if you think Vestigard and Ryan Bertrand were signed by anybody other than Brendan, you're fooling yourself. Just like you'd be fooling yourself if you think that Daka and Sumare were his his targets. But, I mean, what's been wrong with the recruitment? Other than the two flops that he insisted on, Leicester's recruitment has been quite good. You know? Like, Daka, good signing. Sumare, good signing. Lewis Brunson, the 23s, it is what it is. Bertrand and Vestigard are all Rogers. Luckman's been a good signing for them. Do you want to go back a year more? 
Castanier was his signing. He hasn't worked out. Fafana had about as much to do with him as it did me. Now, he's worked, but he's been injured this season. Cheng is under. That's a Brendan signing. Because Brendan wanted him at Celtic. He tried to sign Castanier at Celtic as well. He tried to sign Bertrand at Liverpool. And he's tried to sign Vestergaard at Celtic in the past. So, they're his signings. You can always smell the stench of a Brendan Rodgers signing from a mile away. Go back and look at his signings at Liverpool. You can tell the ones that were his and the ones that were the transfer committees. You can tell the ones that are his and the ones that are done by the non-Lee Conjurton recruitment team that was in situ at Leicester before he took over. Recruitment is not an excuse. I'm sorry. As for injuries, yeah, you've had a tough time. But maybe if you hadn't wasted 15 million on Yannick Vestergaard, it wouldn't have been such a problem. Maybe if Kaglar Sianchu had been coached properly over the last two seasons, it wouldn't be a major problem. You know? You ever think of that? Uh, if we take a look, so obviously this season, Leicester 23 games in. So if we take a look at the last 15 games of last season to give ourselves a bit of a sample size of a full 38-game season, how is Leicester's form looking? So let's see, 5, 10, 15. So included in this game, this would start at the 3-1 win over Liverpool. On the 13th of February last season. Then they beat Aston Villa 2-1. Then they lost to Arsenal 3-1 at home. Then they drew 1-1 away to Burnley. They beat Brighton away. They beat Sheffield United at home. Then they lost to Manchester City. Then they lost to West Ham. Then they beat West Brom. Then they beat Crystal Palace. Then they... Drew with Southampton, lost to Newcastle, beat Manchester United, lost to Chelsea, lost to Tottenham. So that's an extra six defeats. So that would be 16 defeats in your your 38 games. 16 defeats in 38 games. Uh, it includes two draws. And this season they have drawn twice. Uh, sorry, eight, six times. That's eight draws. And that leaves us with 14 wins. So 14 by 3 is uh, 42. Plus 8 gives us 50 points. 50 points from the last 38 games. Now, if we take a little bit of a look back at the Premier League table. Uh, last season, 50 points would have put you in 12th place in the league. The season before, it would have put you in 12th place in the league. The season before, it would have put you in 11th place in the league, but possibly 12th because 11th had 50 points as well. Uh, so it would go to goal difference. Now, Let's see, uh, plus two, plus three, plus one, plus two, plus seven, 
plus five, plus four, plus seven, plus eight, plus nine, nine, seven, five, four. So they'd be plus four on top of their goal difference now, which is minus six. So yes, they would have finished 11th in 1819. Uh, the season before that. Now, it would have got you eighth place in 1718. So, you know, celebrate that. Um, would have been good enough for eighth place in 1617 as well. And it would have been good enough for 11th place in 1516. And in 1415, it would have been good enough for 10th. So basically... Over the last 38 games, a full season in the Premier League, Leicester have been a mid-table team. And in multiple seasons, a bottom half team. In four of the seasons, in fact. of Four, four of the last... What's that, eight seasons? Four of the last eight, they'd have been bottom half. Every one of them, they would have been mid-table. You know? Didn't have injuries all them games. Certainly can't claim to have injuries all them games. So, I, I don't know. I you just It's excuses. It's nonsense. And if he gets to the summer and he has to try and save his job, Colo Toure is getting fired. The backroom staff will take the hit. He's already thrown the recruitment staff and the medical staff under the bus. Next thing he'll do is throw his coaches under the bus. I'll take a break, and when we come back, we've got Garrett Crooks to laugh at, and then we have the gossip. So I'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So we've got the Garrett Crooks team of the week. In goal, he's gone for Alison Becker. Largely because he got an assist, I'd imagine he didn't really have a whole lot to do in terms of the actual goalkeeping. He says, when it comes to one-on-ones, Allison is one of the best goalkeepers in the game. That's true. However, his distribution is fast becoming just as good. His distribution is probably his strongest attribute. He's not as good as Ederson when it comes to passing and controlling the ball with his feet. Uh, the numbers say otherwise. Um, yeah, Allison. look, the assist is incredible, but he didn't really have a whole lot to do. Allison provided the second Premier League assist of his career, setting up Salah on both occasions because Norris' first one was against Manchester United. Only seven goalkeepers have registered more assists in Premier League history than the Brazilian. Great. Uh, in defence, he's got Dawson, he's got Maguire, he's got Rudiger. He's got Dawson and Maguire because they scored. He's got Rudiger... Because he had a shot that almost went in, I guess. Across the midfield, Saka, Fernandez, Smith-Rowe and Kulisevsky uh, scored, scored and an assist, scored, scored and an assist. So yeah, that's why they're in. And up front, Salah, Kane and Son. A little bit surprised Son made it, uh, having not scored at the weekend. But he did play very, very well. Um... I would guess he did watch the Tottenham game, and I've got no problem with the Tottenham players. But then I've no real problem with anyone. The back three is not the back three is completely inaccurate because it's Gareth Crooks and he doesn't watch any football. But I mean, I'd really that struggle. Maguire scored a goal. He didn't play well. Like 
Leeds ran him around the place a number of times. Um, but Gareth Crooks is Gareth Crooks, and he gets things wrong every single week. Let's do the gossip and be done for the day. Harry Kane will wait until the end of the season before deciding his Tottenham future with the England captain currently not interested in discuss- discussing a contract extension. He'll wait and see what Conte does. If Conte signs on to stay for longer than just next season, I think Kane stays. Uh, Pep Guardiola has revealed his side made four bids for Kane, which were all rejected last summer. Interesting. Real Madrid submitted a final offer for Erling Haaland. Uh, what? There is only one offer. He's got a buyout clause. Arsenal have been left angry following their failure to land striker Dusan Flavich. Who are they angry with? Themselves? Thomas Tuchel says Cesar Aspilicueta remains super important to his Chelsea plans despite his contract coming to an end. Barcelona have offered Aspilicueta a two-year deal with the option to extend for further season. Chelsea are among the teams chasing Brazil, uh, Barcelona and Spain midfielder Gavi. Jules Koundé fa- uh, favours the move to Chelsea. We've been hearing this for a while. There's nothing really to show that it's true. Former Manchester United forward Dimitar Berbatov has urged Cristiano Ronaldo and Harry Maguire to sort out their issues over the captaincy. The idea of making Cristiano Ronaldo captain is one of the more laughable things I've ever heard. He'd be a, he's an appalling idea as a captain. Dreadful. Uh, Eberici Ezzi is happy at Crystal Palace. That's good news for them. Wolf Zaha could leave the club this summer as the Eagles are keen to receive a fee from him. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense maybe to move him on at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it does, it does make sense to move him on. If he's not going to sign a new deal, you have to sell him. You can't let him leave for free. Like I said before, I'd love him to stay and see out his career there. Uh, Dutch midfielder Donny van de Beek will look to turn his back on Manchester United and secure a permanent move to Everton after two games. Well, this was, this was, as he said, three games. Now, this was after two games. Um, Stephen Bergwijn of Tottenham is of interest to AC Milan. The transfer of Brazil midfielder Andreas Pereira is in danger of collapsing. Interesting. No reason why. Marcelo Bielsa has refused to discuss his future, as he does every season. That's not news. Uh, Moving on. Manchester City are set for contract talks with Raheem Sterling. Okay. Chelsea have told Cesar Azpilicueta they will wait for him to decide where his future lies. That this is nonsense. As normal from Romano, it's garbage. Um, Portugal defender Diogo Delo is in line to extend his stay at Manchester United, leaving the future of Aaron Wan-Bissaka in serious doubt. I think a loan for Wan-Bissaka next season has got to be key. It's got to be, got to be done. It has to happen. Manchester United will not stand in Cristiano's way if he wants to leave. They shouldn't either. They should welcome the opportunity to push him out the door. Uh, Bielsa is set to walk away from the club after saying it is impossible to commit, sorry, compete in the Premier League without total commitment. I, I don't know when he, said, when he said that. I didn't hear him say that at all. Arsenal are interested in Alvaro Morata. Jesus, West. Um... 
The Gunners are running provisional checks over a potential move for Fabian Ruiz. He'd be a brilliant signing. He would be a tremendous signing for Arsenal. Genuinely would be a great signing. Chelsea and Italy midfielder Jorginho said he was close to joining Manchester City before moving to Stamford Bridge and still harbours ambitions of playing under Pep Guardiola. That's not something you really want to hear. Um, Everton and Ivory Coast midfielder Jean-Philippe Gabamon is the subject of interest from CSK Moscow. Yeah, the Russian transfer window is still open for another week or so. Is it a week? No, it's a couple of days. It's this week someday. It's this week someday. I'm not sure which. Uh, Borussia Dortmund and Norway striker Erling Haaland's father is playing an increasingly influential role in brokering his next move. This is tripe. Absolute tripe. He is going to go where he gets offered the most money. Let's be... There's going to be a bunch of clubs will be willing to pay the buyout. It's who's willing to give him the most wages that will get him. Simple as that. Uh, Rodrigo Bentancur says Luis Suarez and Edinson Cavani helped him to make his dream move to the Premier League. Fair play. Uh, Chelsea have set their sights on Eder Militao. Interesting. Interesting. You'd imagine if he goes there, Kunde goes to Real. That would seem like the most likely course of action. Uh, Arsenal and Morata again. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Sergio Busquets says bringing in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is a gift. Not all gifts are good, though. Uh, he did get a hat-trick yesterday, so fair play. Uh, Houston Dynamo have made an offer to sign Hector Herrera. He can still do a, do- a job in Europe, but I guess if he wants to go and be closer to home, it makes sense. But I think he'd be better off going to the Liga MX, unless he's going to get more money in MLS. You know, that's where it'll be. Uh, Lucas Vasquez wants to leave Real Madrid so he can play first-team football and make the World Cup squad. Um, I, I, I won't even. Real Madrid will focus on strengthening their attack this summer rather than pursuing a squad overhaul. Okay. Uh, Inter Milan, AC Milan and Juventus are all interested in Memphis Depay. He'd be a good signing for anybody. Tottenham are leading the race to sign Stefan De Vries. Makes sense. He was absolutely key for Conte at Inter. Everton could try and sign one of Chelsea's out on loan 3-0. Billy Gilmore, Conor Gallagher or Armando Brogia in the summer. This is an attempt by some idiot to put two and two together because Lampard is at Everton. Um, and Juventus are prepared to offer Paulo Dybala a contract extension that was agreed in October if his agent gives up a large amount of commission. Right. Nonsense. We will leave it there for today. Um, yeah, just, 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 that's just it. We leave it there and I will speak to you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Goodbye. Podcast Network.